for the first time, with this vote and what's happening now with the Kurds, I mean, is this not, in your estimation, a glimmer of hope that we haven't had any yes. out there? And isn't this a glimmer of hope? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because because this represents one of the biggest things we're dealing with is. You know, we had the genocide of Christians and, and Yazidis in that part of the region uh, who are predominantly living in the regions that the Kurds have, and that was done at the hands of of, uh, of, of Syria and ISIS. I mean, and so it's, it's, it's an opportunity to show yeah, that, a, you know, we're looking for the, the right way of thinking in yeah. that part of the world, and we're looking at the freedoms of people and their rights, and so we have to stand behind that. And I, I, I think that is, uh, we have to show that the Kurds are united behind what they want to do. And I think that 92% referendum that they want to do this sends oh, wow. a huge signal, a a signal to the world. Talk. Just talk. Because that's what we do here, friends. Malcolm Out Loud Talk. Welcome to the show. Well, there's a popular saying in Kurdistan that the Kurds' only friends are the mountains, meaning that when they need to fight back against occupiers or invaders, the only support they can count on is their forbidden terrain. It's one of the biggest news stories that could reshape Middle East politics and change the future trajectory of U.S. involvement in the region. More than 92% of voters in Iraqi's Kurdistan region have opted for independence. Well, this is according to the election monitors and an overwhelming endorsement of a proposed split from Baghdad. And this has created quite a debacle out there of air and land blockades and threats from neighboring countries and Everybody seems to be on a different side. We're going to cover that. It's a big news story here, and not enough is being said about it. We're going to do that right now on the show. I'd like you to meet Jennifer Breeden, and uh, Jennifer is an attorney specializing in international criminal law and foreign policy, specifically in the Middle East. She is a government consultant in issues of protecting human rights and provides legal analysis for areas such as international criminal law, human rights, and religious extremists. And what's really cool about this conversation is Jennifer is right there in Kurdistan right at this moment. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, it's great to be on with you, Malcolm. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And you are right there in Kurdistan. I know we spoke the other day and you were out there and I thought, well, she's right there at ground zero. We got to see. Of course, we didn't realize this was going to become as unraveled as it is. So let's, let's take it right now what's happening. So right now, the Kurds have just, and, and again, Jennifer, a lot of uh, people did not want them to have this vote, including the United States and Britain and many others did not want this vote to happen. Uh, but they, they did the vote, and I mean, it was overwhelming. I mean, how often do you get an election where over 90% vote in one direction? I mean, that kind of tells you something, right? Absolutely. And, I mean, we were talking about a perpetual Fourth of July celebration here for about a week and a half before it happened. So most of us in America never, you know, we weren't really there in 1776 when it happened. So it was kind of neat. I know for me to be here and say, oh, wow, these, these people are really they're wanting it. They're excited. So. So, Jennifer, this is a big deal out there. Tell, tell us why. Now, you're very supportive of this, obviously. I mean, you're. you're really, yeah. Tell us why and what the reaction, how people feel out there right now. 
Well, I'll tell you why, and, and we can get very simple. Of course, I can talk forever with you about this, but the very basic reason is because I have studied international criminal law, and I've studied uh, genocide crimes against humanity, specifically in regards to extremism, um, such as Islamist extremism from Sharia-type governments, and I've worked with many factions in the Middle East on how they combat that. And so when you look at the expansionist ideologies of the Iranian regime, they want to expand from uh, you know Iran to Iraq to Syria. They're now in Lebanon. They're trying to take over Yemen with the Houthi rebels. That's been the Iranian regime. The Ayatollah's goal is to you know impose this. You know they they continue to crack down on Christians, minorities, and women in Iran. That's what they want is to take over this region. Now, if you look at a map and you you carve out the area of Iraqi Kurdistan where this vote took place. This is a secular democratic government that's opposed to any sort of Sharia law, that's friendly to women's rights, that's protected Christians, protected minorities, that is very Western for all intents and purposes. And they would be sitting right dead smack in the middle of Iranians' expansionist regime. So all of this, not wanting the Kurds to have independence or to vote or anything, it all can be traced back. We call it the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's the six degrees of the Ayatollah over here. It all can be traced back to Iranian regime goals or ideas because there's really no reason for them to be so against this. Now, of course, when Iran has gotten Baghdad, Iraq on board with them, we know that they've been in, uh, we know that Iran has influence now in Iraq and we get Turkey on board with that and, and all, all coming down from different sides saying, we don't want you to do this vote. We're going to attack you. And, uh, and then th them being such large players with the U S and NATO, especially with Turkey, but then Iraq, the U S having a vested interest there. Um, you know, you get all these other Western powers also saying, okay, hold off on the vote because Iran is going to be pissed. That's basically what we're looking at. It wasn't any Kurds. We don't want you to vote. It was just all these countries are going to be really angry at you. So don't do this. But, you know, it was a State Department of the United States that came out. Right now, there's a bill in U.S. Congress passed by a Democrat, uh, Mitch, but passed by uh, Chuck Schumer and a Republican written by Tr Trent Franks. And this bill is going through to show support that Congress now supports Kurdistan independence. So you now have Congress versus the State Department, mostly by a lot of Obama appointees. So it's still a political game right there. But when it comes to why I think this is important, I think if you ever have any hope to, to quell Iranian expansionist regimes, nuclear ambitions, giving all of our oil money straight to the Ayatollah who wants to destroy us, or having a government that is the best friend of Israel and of the U.S. and of our values, I, I always go with that. Everything the Kurds have done, the vote, it was basically an opinion poll. They knew it wouldn't be anything binding. It's an opinion poll that many other regions have done, and it was completely 100% legal. So these threats from Iraq, from Turkey, and the actions they're now taking amount to collective punishment are actually in violation of at least 10 international conventions. Well, there's a long history here that goes with the Kurdistan people, the Kurds, and let's touch on that a moment here, Jennifer, because then there are a lot of players I want to talk about, such as Turkey, such as Iran, such as Syria, and even Israel, I want to come back to that in a moment. But first, let's let's do this. Um, I want to bring it back to for folks to understand uh, the Kurds, uh, okay, the Kurdistan people. That really, this goes back to the Ottoman Empire, really, when when this all happened and the area was divvied up, right, b between the nations. 
Uh, what happened is the Kurds, if you look at, back to what you said a moment ago, that map, uh, Jennifer, then you'll see that the Kurds are part in Iraq, they're part in Iran, they're part in Syria, and they're part in Turkey. In fact, what I didn't realize, but I'm sure I would imagine you'll confirm this, is that the Kurds are the largest minority ethnic group uh, in the world without a sovereign country. That is correct, about 40 million strong. Wow. See, that is an eye-opener in itself. You know, in a lot of ways, Jennifer, this reminds me in a lot of ways of Israel. Because it was Israel was were people in the middle of all of this, the, the neighborhood, let's say, without mm-hmm. a country. And in many ways, how they got their independence and what happened with Israel uh, and finding their home and then having to defend it. In some ways, I draw some similarities to the to the Kurdish people. What's really amazing about the Kurds, it seems to be that they're a glimmer of hope and light out there in a very unique region. They're in a neighborhood. They're in a pretty rough neighborhood. But these people are pro-Israel, pro-American. It's very, very unusual that you would get that in that part of the world, huh? Yes, and um, you're absolutely right. And what's funny is that it's funny that you say that. There are a couple things that you said which are uh, which strike me not only as completely accurate, but uh, just to add on to that, to piggyback here. In fact, there was a post that came out, and it was in Arabic, so I'm sure a lot of newspapers didn't translate this or pick this up. In fact, most of the things that the egregiously horrible things that are passed against the Kurdish people or the, the Kurdistan independence referendum are uh, are pretty bad. But one of them came out. It was a statement from the Iraqi president. And um, so al-Maliki was sitting talking and was discussing the aspect of the Kurdistan referendum vote for independence. And his exact quote, and again, this was, a, was an, an Arabic letter, which was never really quite translated well. But his exact quote was that, we will never allow there to be a second Zionist country in this region. They refer to Kurdistan actually as the second Zionist country because the Kurds in Israel are so close. Actually, most leaders, specifically Iran and their progenies here, refer to them as the second Zionist country. It's not like the Kurds are Jewish by any intents and purposes, but this is how they look at them. We will not let a second uh, secular democratic. Well, that tells you everything right, right there. That's, that, it that, does. that just tells you everything. I mean, come on. It does. You know? I mean, that says a lot. Let's talk a moment about the destabilization of the area here. And here's what I want to bring folks. Uh, li- listen to this now. And I again, please confirm this, what, I, what I'm seeing and hearing here. It's being reported that Russia... And Israel, believe it or not, you don't often see those two agree on much, but they are actually in, in very much support of this and believe, I mean, they're, they're being in very supportive of this referendum that's happened here, yet the U.S. and Britain are kind of opposed it at the moment. Is that what you're hearing? Uh, it is, but it's a little bit more complicated with the U.S. So for one, just to touch on the U.S., as we said, that there's right now kind of going to be some contention. I think we'll see that more in the U.S. Right. as Congress starts to try to pass this bill for accepting Kurdistan. So you now have Congress legislatures, a bipartisan group trying to pass a bill to recognize Kurdish independence directly against um, Brett McGurk and the State Department. Remember, Brett McGurk was an appointee by the Obama administration specifically for this region and a spearhead of what the State Department said. So now you have like disagreeing factions. But as far as Russia and Israel, yes, Israel has come out in support. Actually, the predominant majority of the Swedish government as well, some others. Um, they certainly are waiting on the United States, but Russia is very interesting, as you said. Russia signed a deal. They wanted to get into the gas. There are a couple things on this. I mean, 
this is actually a very smart move. Nobody is ever going to say that Vladimir Putin is a dumb guy. He is absolutely So why is Russia not. going along with it then? What's the, what's the backstory? He's going along with this because he sees the potential in this region. We're talking about a region that would potentially be the most oil-rich place here. So it's either all the oil goes to the Ayatollahs in Iran to build nuclear weapons against us, or it goes to the Democratic Kurds who want to help the U.S.-Israel secular values and women's rights and Christian rights. So that he potentially sees this as an extremely um, uh, profitable region, whereas if he's the first great power to, to get there, I mean, Russia wants to come into the Middle East. They want to be the number one power. They don't want the U.S. to be the one that they look to anymore. So because the U.S. has remained silent on Kurdistan, Russia sees an opportunity to say these people could potentially be the new Dubai. That's been a quote in several analysis articles here. And uh and so Russia wants to get into that. They want to get a piece of that. They want to get into it before the United States and say, look, Kurds, you look at the U.S. as your number one ally and friend, but they've thrown you under the bus. And here we are. You know, let's do an oil deal. And Russia's actually been very smart with this. If the U.S. were smart, they would wake up and say, no, 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 wait a minute. We have to get in here while we can or else. Interesting. Now Russia has to you know, Putin is already uh, he, he plays he plays chess while many others play checkers. You know that. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. he's and always he three well. steps ahead. Yeah, he does. He does. And you're so right to point that out, though, because what we're saying is they're trying to jump up on that and get a one up on the U.S. But let's be real here as well a moment, because we you and I both know, I'm pretty certain the United States, in in theory, they very much support the Kurds. We both know that. And they support, uh, support Kurdistan as well, we believe. They're looking at the timing. But then again, when you look back at history here, Jennifer, the timing has never been good. I mean, the, the Kurds have been beat up for, oh my God, for forever. I mean, they have got, you go back to the Saddam Hussein days and you see all, and when they were, and then when Iraq attacked them back to when they drew the North and the South lines, do you remember when there was an ear um, restriction? Yeah. And to protect the Kurds. And then a lot of Kurds went over the mountains and thousands and thousands of them, I understand tens of thousands got killed from that journey in the winter, I believe is what I, yeah. I remember that as well. So what's happened here is, so the the State Department, by the way, here, uh, a gentleman in the State Department, Edgar Vasquez comes out and says, we urge Baghdad and Erbil to continue their support to defeat ISIS, which led to the liberation of Mosul and other areas. So they're kind of saying the time isn't quite right, but you don't buy that, do you, Jennifer? I don't buy that for one second. That's been the main Iranian talking point. I mean, here's the thing. In this region, specifically in the Middle East, if you don't want the U.S. to be on board, so it's all about who the U.S. is going to side with. That's what everyone looks to. So if you're some kind of regime that's trying to be smart, wants to subvert the U.S., you say, okay, what's going to make the U.S. go against this? The first thing you're going to say is, Tell them it doesn't support ISIS. Tell them tell them it's going to hurt the fight against ISIS, which is absolute crap, because what you're essentially saying is that a secular, democratic, strong government that supports Western values and freedoms for minorities is is basically they cannot be free. They can't even vote for an opinion poll in self-determination and freedom or independence because you're going to refuse to fight a genocidal terrorist organization. That's absolute. I mean, to use honestly, to use Joe Biden's word, uh, it's malarkey. It absolutely is. And uh, and I think it's it's something that unfortunately the U.S. State Department specifically has totally given into. It's making us look not only weak but absolutely stupid. And it's really hard for me to be in a place where people wave American flags, where they love the United States, but where they come up to me on the street and say, "Why on earth isn't the United States supporting us? We love you more than anything. We support Israel. We support your values. We will be your your hole in the you know your 
you're hole in the region here. We will be everything that the U.S. wants in this region. Why aren't you supporting us? And I'm, I, I don't, I have no idea why you are siding with a government that says, essentially, we never want another second Zionist regime, a second Israel in this region, when we should be supporting every nation in this region, in the Middle East, that's against terrorists, that's against extremism, that has great de-radicalization programs, and that supports Israel. All right, so let me do this. I want to ask you a little bit more about, because in many ways, from many of the experts I'm seeing, Jennifer, they, they think exactly with what you just said, that really what could happen here with the Kurds in Kurdistan could be a dream come true for the Middle East. Now, that's just not a talking point. I mean, if you look at the geography and you look at the politics out there, what we're speaking about today, this, this, is, this is one of the biggest stories to me to come out of the Middle East in a long time. And something with a glimmer of hope. So what I want to do, I've got to pause a quick moment here. I want to come back and I want to talk about that. And then I want to talk more about, you've created quite a relationship with, with the Kurds. And you've been going out there for some time. So you have a pretty good feel of these uh, folks. But I also want to get your opinion, Jennifer. Uh, put your crystal ball on and tell me what really happens next with the U.S. Do they get on board at some point? Does that happen sooner than later? Does the Russia card play into this thing somehow? I find the whole conversation really fascinating. We're going to pick that up just after this quick pause. We'll be right back with you. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. We invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com to get all the latest. Make it a daily stop and also get the app. You go right to the App Store and download our free app. And that will put all our content right into your hands on your phones and your tablets. It doesn't get any easier than that. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Well, it almost doesn't even sound real. But we're talking about, uh, you know, let's put it this way. Israel comes out and supports the independence of Kurdistan. I mean, that in itself is just a showstopper. I mean, that's definitely because, you know, Israel is not going to support anything that isn't to the peace and the quality of the region out there. There's no way they're going to do that. It's being called an oasis, if you will, an oasis in the desert, a pocket of safety, security, stability in a very, very hostile neighborhood. 
And I got to tell you, we're talking about the independence of Kurdistan. And interestingly enough, the geography of this area is truly amazing. With Turkey to the north, you've got Iran to the east, you've got Iraq to the south, Syria to the southwest. I mean, they're in a neighborhood that is, you know, just think about that. Think about the players I just said. And then you do the math quick and you say, okay, how do you really get peace out there? I'd like you to meet again Jennifer Breeden. Again, she's an attorney. She happens to be right now in Kurdistan. Jennifer, you travel out there quite a bit. What's a lot of the work you're doing out there? What's that all about? Tell us. Well, it's kind of changed, but uh, I can say safely that I have come out here first uh, to work with some of the refugees, to work with uh, the Yazidi girls, get some of their information on the, the cases, especially a lot of the Christian refugees and the IDPs. These are internally displaced people. That means Iraqi Christians that didn't feel safe in Iraq and came to the Kurdish region, the autonomous region in Kurdistan. They've all been kept safe here. In fact, Kurdish, Kurdistan opened their doors to Christian refugees to come into Erbil, which is their capital city, where I am now. Most of the Christian refugees are either in malls that uh, were purposely abandoned to make room for them or in camps right here and taken care of. They let the Christians in first, just trusting them more for obvious reasons. Uh, but they've been taking care of all the minorities, the refugees. This never comes out in the news. But uh, lately, actually, with all the talk of the referendum, the threats from these other governments, you mentioned all the surrounding countries, the threats against uh, just the vote just for independence. It's basically a glorified opinion poll, as one of the politicians told me. And uh, they knew it wasn't going to be anything, but it was just showing their support, showing their voice for what they actually want. So I've now been working with government officials uh, for quite some time now in legal issues, legal aspects. And in fact, Iraq, Baghdad, Iran, and some of these people, Turkey especially, they would come out and say, uh, this isn't legal, it isn't legal, providing no justification why it wasn't legal. And as a lawyer, I mean, that kind of, you know, makes me cringe inside. And so part of my job was coming and saying exactly why it was legal. They're not going to provide any evidence. Well, it is legal that you vote. You always have a right to vote, even if it's not binding, whatever it is. That's self-determination 101. You have a right to vote. It's legal under domestic and international laws. So pretty much trying to give the people their courage. I was able to be on a Kurdish media here and uh, some of the larger media channels, but then working with government officials to say, if you want to talk to your people, use these issues, give them these legal laws, because sometimes they just need to hear it. They hear illegal from Baghdad and suddenly they're afraid to break a law when all they want to say is that they're, they want to be independent. So I, I tried to be a voice of reason to say, what you're going to do is legal. Do not be afraid. Remain courageous and voice your opinion. Well, I got to tell you, you're, a lot of people would say you're so brave and to really make the jump out there and even in a volatile time like this. But but you have a lot of confidence in, in the Kurds, don't you? I really do. I see um, I see just so many incredible programs. One, for example, of course, I could go on for hours, but just for example, one is that, you know, we're talking about a place where a lot of these people, yes, they're not very uh, religious. They're certainly not fundamentalists. They don't want any Sharia law, but many of them were born into Sunni homes because of sort of Ottoman and some of this regime from uh, Arabization of the cultures, the places they've been, but they've kind of gotten away from that. They don't want any part of that. So they have set up these incredible de-radicalization programs. Programs. One of them is for the youth in Kurdistan. It's basically any time, and this happens in most Middle Eastern countries, these extremist tied mosques will come out and have free quote unquote after school programs or training centers. So families that can't you know, afford much, the kids can only go there and learn this extremist kind of uh, radical Islamist ideology. Whereas the Kurds, for example, for every mosque that opens one of those programs, they open you know, government funded recreation centers and programs where there are sports teams and kids can play. 
and they dedicate some of their funding and resources to making sure there are more centers for youth to play, to learn with boys and girls being equal about, you know, democratic and free values rather than going to these institutions. So, I mean, that's just one de-radicalization program. These, uh, these people definitely have a handle on how to stop terrorism, how to stop Iranian regime expansionist ideologies, and how to stop these values, these oppressive values that will continue to hold women down. Jennifer, Another one that they, yes. Can they, can they defend themselves? They absolutely can. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's In what fact, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. A lot of the a lot of the news that you've seen coming out of here when it says northern Iraqi forces or Iraqi forces, a lot of time that means the the Peshmerga forces, right. the Kurdish Peshmerga, the Peshmerga, the Kurdish Peshmerga military forces, and the Iraqi forces have still continued to work together even as soon as 72 hours ago, having still worked together uh, despite all the rhetoric from Baghdad and Iraq, they've continued to work together. But the Peshmerga has been very strong. In fact, most of the refugees in Syria have stayed safe, and not a single American life has been lost on Kurdish soil. Wow. Since the rise of wow. Now, Jennifer, back a few days ago, a lot of the reports I were seeing was that, and as this independence happened, was that, that Baghdad was definitely going to attack and there was going to be a volatile, uh, it was going to be a problem there. It was going to be an attack by the Iraqis uh, on the Peshmerga there in uh, Kurdistan. But since then, in the last, I don't know, let's say, I don't know, 24 hours, I- I'm hearing reports that they're not going to attack. What are you hearing? Oh, I'm hearing the same thing you're hearing. I mean, again, in this region specifically and and here, and one thing I've learned, anybody that's been here has learned, is that there are things you might hear in the media passed by uh, Baghdad, Iranian, Iraqi propaganda, and then there's the truth of what's actually going to happen. I didn't talk to a single Peshmerga commander that was worried at all about Baghdad attacking. They were like, yeah, yeah, we'll be there, but it's not going to happen. They know they can't beat us. They know that. And they've got this relationship with the Iraqi military or even Iraqi military guys would say, "Uh, we would not attack you. So all of these things, all the threats that you're saying you heard that did come out in public were literally to make the people terrified for their lives, to make them feel afraid because they voted in this independence referendum. It was just to make them afraid. It was never going to happen. Well, I know they've been a very effective fighting force against ISIS. I mean, they've had major, major success. In fact, they've taken back a lot of the major cities in northern Iraq, and a lot of that is because of the Peshmerga, right? Uh, Most of it. Yeah, yeah, work they've done. You know what a lot of people don't realize? Again, back to, let's talk, you know, we talk about the Kurds, these... I, I just get a really good feeling when we talk about these people, and obviously Israel do does as well. I mean, when you hear the fact that they're pro-Israel, that in itself just changes all the rules. I mean, that just changes everything, because that's what we have not been able to accomplish out there in that region, number one. Number two, they practice a very, very moderate brand of Islam. A lot of people don't think that exists, but it actually does in that area, doesn't it, Jennifer? It does. And in fact, I wouldn't even say practicing a modern brand of Islam. I would almost say that they're born in this cultural uh, Islamic fashion, but most of the government officials I've worked with would kind of consider themselves, you know, they believe either they believe in God, but not really religious, or some just say that um, because they've been raised in a mostly Muslim society and they don't buy into that, that they're just atheists. And so I've gotten uh, kind of both of those things. That's the predominant thing I see from the Kurds. You'll still see mosques, but they're not overarching. They're just as many churches in the area. But but they're they're not as hostile against Christians. Not at all. In fact, they welcome Christians in as the first IDPs into their main city in Erbil. They actually asked which ones are Christians because they knew they could trust Christians rather than others See, that were that, coming in. That is crazy. You just never hear that out there, Jennifer. That itself is yeah. that just changes everything. I mean, it does. 
because the Christians actually in the refugee camps here where I am, yeah. some of the refugee yeah. camps, the Christians are actually allowed their they're well taken care of by the Kurds, but the Christians are allowed to leave the refugee camps and go find work in the government. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I, the more I, and more I find out and the more I understand of what's really happening out there, the more it changes the game entirely. Now, we're talking geographically here. We're talking about, what, what is it, about 30 million Kurds living? Oh, that, well, we're talking Iraq, Turkey, Iran, and Syria. We're talking all those countries. Mm-hmm. But really, the, 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 Kurd in, the Kurdistan, that part of it, is the independence. That would not affect the Turkey aspect, the Syria, or Iran, would it? Not at all. But that's what Iran and Turkey are arguing. It's going right. to cause an uprising. In fact, Malcolm, I was in Turkey for a week before I came over here. Okay. Um, I stayed in a pretty heavy uh, Kurdish pop, uh, Kurdish region of Istanbul, and I talked to some of the Kurds in Turkey and asked them, you know, is this going to do? I asked them just point blank because that's how I like to do things. Turkey's argued, oh, our Kurds are going to uprise. They don't have the kind of organization, government, military forces that the Kurds here do. And in fact, the Kurds there in Turkey said, look, we don't have that. We're super excited about the independence vote in Iraq. We're watching it. And it might be hard to leave Turkey where I was born, but if, if they got independence, of course I'd go over there. So for Turkey and Iran to say that this is going to cause destabilization, uprising in our country, it's absolutely ludicrous. I haven't heard or seen or witnessed that anywhere. But, you know, Turkey is very fearful. They're very fearful because the Kurds take a – that's a big piece of their land up there, you know, uh, in southern it Turkey is. there. Yeah, yeah. And so they're, they're, they're cautious, aren't they? And Turkey's been through a whole lot of regime uh, instability uh, over the past year, for sure, right? I mean, that's a volatile area in itself. It's becoming more volatile, sadly, huh? It has. And actually, the, the Turkish government, I mean, for, you know, every government has faults, but I mean, they have worked with the KDP, this is the Kurdistan Democratic Party, mm-hmm. the party in power here in, uh, in Erbil, in the Kurdistan region. And uh, Turkey and them have worked together pretty well against the PKK. This is the uh, Kurdistan Workers Party, who is uh, t- the U.S. and Turkey considered a terrorist organization. They've uh, committed a lot of attacks against the government in Turkey. So Kurdistan authorities have agreed to take care of the PKK for Turkey, and they were working very well. In fact, the economic ties between the Kurdistan and Turkey have been so large that most of the Kurds I've talked to have said they don't even consider any of the threats from Turkey. It's a lot of just verbiage to appease some of their more like fundamentalist, uh, anti-Kurdish well, that's good constituents. To hear. That's good to hear. Yeah, for sure. All right. I want I want you to put your crystal ball on now, and I want to get your predictions with the U.S., what position they take. But before I do, there's another point I want to make with the House Armed Services Committee here in the States. Uh, there were threats to withhold funding, uh, to, again, to the Peshmerga, if Kurdistan broke away from Iraq. Uh, that's a big deal, obviously. And so talk to me on Washington coming along with this, with the Trump administration. What do you think happens? Well, uh, regarding your threats with, with arms, things like that, Malcolm, I wish and, and hopefully on your show in the very near future, I will be able to be more honest about that. But uh, I can say that there are a lot of these threats regarding the Kurds that we can look at as namely threats. I've heard a lot of very positive things. I think our Department of Defense, uh, one of the most uh, least vocal departments in the U.S., not as vocal certainly as the State Department, uh, has been very much on board and allied with the Peshmerga. So I, I think uh, I think right now our U.S. government needs to become unified in a stance on this because I've heard a lot more positive things than just things like that. But in terms of uh, ears to the wall and predictions, you know, I left my crystal ball at home this time. I can't really get access to it. But uh, but in talking to a lot of the people, seeing what I've seen, and and just the kind of the pattern going in the 
in the region and, and which players are supporting, which players are continuing to, despite maybe public, uh, being publicly against it, still doing economic deals and trade deals and coming into here. Uh, I think that I really do think that the U.S. is going to support. Again, this is going to be up to really the Trump White House, right. Vice President Pence and Donald Trump to say, OK, Congress is passing this bipartisan bill. Do we want that or do we want to go with the State Department? But again, you had Donald Trump give an excellent speech at the United Nations where he put you know, Iran into the new axis of evil with North Korea. And he, he talked about the importance of destabilizing the Iranian regime, their expansionist ideologies, which they have been very successful in doing. And it was kind of a slap in the face to Trump for the State Department to the very next day release a report against denying self-determination of the Kurds when Donald Trump got in front of the UN and said, we will always provide self-determination and protect sovereignty of governments that are friendly to Western democratic values. And it seemed like he was talking specifically to the Kurds, who would be the number one force to keep Iran in check. But the State Department issued this statement almost directly against what Trump said. So it's going to be interesting to see what Trump does, whether they're waiting for some more stability in the region, for things to settle down a little bit. But I do think the U.S. will end up backing this. Yeah, I, I, I'm hearing that. And I sense that from you. I get a sense from uh, from my uh, uh, reports that I'm seeing. I, I think that's the way it may go as well. Uh, interesting to see how it all is going to play out. One of the other pieces here, finally, is Iran. A lot of people may not realize how much Iran is controlling Iraq. And we're speaking specifically of not so much the part we're talking about, the northern part of Iraq, but we're talking about the south part of Iraq and certainly the uh, the, the eastern part and that's that whole region there, right into the center part, Baghdad, that whole area. Iran's a big factor. Uh, Iran is a, is a huge factor there, is it not, Jennifer? Absolutely a huge factor. That's one reason why I'm talking to you about Baghdad or Iraq. You know, so we'll just pretend that it's uh, three different sections right now. You have Kurdistan, you have Iraq, you have Iran. Right. Iran is completely uh, in Iraq. Everybody knows that here. In fact, I've seen pictures. They've come out on social media, again, in other languages, so probably hasn't circulated in the U.S., but social media where the Ayatollah of Iran has now just opened up a school where his teachings go in. He's been there to visit exactly. it in a in a Christian city in Iraq, a exactly. Christian city. Yeah. Let that sink in. So in it, it does. It does. And that's what I'm feeling. I was speaking to somebody the other day from Iraq, Jennifer, and they said to me, Iraq will never be the same again. And it's in other words, they've kind of written it off. And we were talking about this upcoming vote with the independence vote with the Kurds and all. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I get a sense that's accurate Do you. I do. I really do, especially with some of the decisions you've seen rain down and how everybody, even the civilians, even a lot of Iraqis just don't really put any sort of hope in their government anymore. They have violated 55 provisions of their own constitution just to destroy the Kurds ever since Iran came in there. Now you have Ayatollah schools being built in Christian towns. You have complete Iranian taking over. It's basically the new Hezbollah in Iran or the Houthi rebels in Yemen. And they're just doing that very slowly, but it's all the same exact propaganda. Nobody gives them any credit here. And that's why the Kurds are even saying, look, we have great lawsuits, great cases, which I'm pleased to be a part of with the Kurdistan government. They're like, we're not even going to file in Iraqi courts because they're, they're, they're not even legitimate. They're held by the Iran, the, the Ayatollah's regime, people that are taking over Christian homes, burning them down and saying only Muslims deserve to live there. And uh, so we refuse to even do business in a court like that. We'll sue them in our own courts. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a big piece of it, which really makes this independence vote so important and so critical with all the factors and factions we're talking about with Turkey, with Syria, with Iran, uh, it, in, in Iraq itself. You can just see now the, the Kurdistan region is like, is like key important. The last point to make, international law. This is something you know a little bit about because you follow this, you're an attorney, you understand this. Very, very interesting. Uh, this point I want to make that uh, under what I've read up on now with international law, and I put that in quotes with my fingers here as I say that, customary international law, let's say. So the threshold for statehood, is, is, is for government, is a permanent population, a defined territory, and the capacity to enter relations with other states, which, by the way, and, and, and a government itself, which Kurdistan has all of them. In fact, what I understand, most Kurds don't even identify as an Iraqi. They're their own kind of people. That's kind of been ongoing, has it not, Jennifer? It has. What you're actually referring to is the four elements of the Montevideo Convention of 1933. So under international law, which you're always right to put international law in quotations, um, because it is uh, it is constantly evolving. So that's the basic element for uh, a state to achieve independence is the four elements of the Montevideo Convention, which is a permanent population, defined territory, a government and capacity to enter into foreign relations. After that, it's recognition by other countries. Generally, it's been utilized by the United Nations recently, but that's all they really need. And then just a show of self-determination. So not only do they not, the Kurds not identify as Iraqis, of course not, but they also, one thing in the Middle East, me having traveled to so many different countries, when you meet somebody, first and foremost, the first thing they'll tell you is, I'm Sunni or I'm Shia. They won't go into anything about their, their patriotism, their nationality, anything else about them. Whereas, you know, us in the U.S. or something will say, well, I'm American, and then we can go into religion later. But the Kurds will say, I'm Kurdish. They'll actually look at you funny if you say, well, are you Sunni or Shia? They'll be like, what? Get away from me. And uh, and you see that all the time. I mean, anybody you can talk to here, is a, they'll kind of like, no, I, not like in a bad way, but just why would you ask me that? I'm Kurdish. Well, because you know, they I'm know Kurdish. they know that's where the battle lines have always been drawn, exactly. you know, it, which really sucks. That's that's part of the problem out there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So cool for the Kurds. Well. Jennifer, you you have a lot of great write-ins. You really do some, I think, some really outstanding work there. I was just on your website the other day. I, isn't it just your name.com? Is it jenniferbreeden.com? It is jenniferbreeden.com. Right. I've actually um, or filed the organization papers. I have uh, starting my firm, Breeden Law International. It's been a while in the making because I've been so busy working with uh, governments protecting the rule of law, women's rights, and uh, Christian minority rights everywhere. So uh, hopefully that's going to be up soon. But right now it's just jenniferbreeden.com. I love the work you're doing, man. I really do. And I love reading your material and the things you're out there with. I've watched some of your videos the other day. And I said, man, she, you are just kicking ass out there, man. It's wonderful. So congratulations for all the work you're doing. Hard work out there, you know. Well, thank you. You as well. It's hard to find media people that speak the truth. Yeah, no, that's what it's all about here at America Out Loud. So it's my pleasure to do that. Well, listen, coming up next, friends, I've got joined us on this conversation. Conversation coming in here, Colonel Jim Warshuk. I want to get the military perspective on this so we can look at this strategically as well and understand, okay, militarily, what do we really have there? And, you know, sometimes a good military mind is a good thing to have. We're going to do that right ahead, right after this quick pause. We are one of the fastest growing podcast and talk radio networks in the world. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. 
and we stand proudly with the men and women who serve in our armed forces and our law enforcement heroes. Thank you for being part of our family, and we'll see you back at AmericaOutloud.com. Well, it is a big day for the people of Kurdistan. The Kurds have uh, claimed their independence. Uh, Not everybody's happy about that, as we've been talking about on the show here. Uh, Bringing on the show here, Colonel Jim Warshuk is with us. He was a retired United States Air Force colonel, serving nearly 30 years as a career senior intelligence and political military affairs officer, and special mission intelligence officer as well. He served as deputy director for intelligence for U.S. Central Command during the peak years of the wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, and the global war on terrorism. He's a former White House National Security Council, and we're good to have Jim with us. He's a, certainly an expert and contributor on America Out Loud. I'd love to have always get his thoughts and ideas. And Jim, on this uh, Kurdistan independence, we've been following it very, very closely. Uh, this was a big deal. Uh, the question is, and some of the you know uh, unmentionables is, okay, we knew it was going to be overwhelming. It was like 92%, Jim. I mean, people say, well, not now, not now. But, you know, the Kurds have been in this funny position for a long time. I mean, they, they, were, they were ridiculed and beaten up pretty bad when Saddam Hussein was there. Uh, they, when, back when we put the north and south ear boundaries with the no-fly zone, that was to protect some of the Kurds to the north. Turkey's a little nervous. They came out against this, obviously. Uh, Iran came out, Iraq, they're all against it. Um, what do you think? Are they in, let's start here. Do you think, are the Kurds in danger at all to be in, uh, attacked militarily by anybody at this point? Or do you think that's a stretch or is that a possibility? Well, I appreciate being back on the show, Malcolm, as always. Uh, these are all really good questions and there are a lot of big strategic imperatives that we have to look at, assess, and essentially we're going to have to deal with And when I say we, uh, the the world who has close ties to the Kurds and the regional uh, governments that are going to have to weigh all of this and fairly importantly the United Nations where a lot of this will come into play and will be uh, either advocated for or uh, are represented and, and where the, a lot of the discussions on this are going to play out. <clears throat> for the U.S., I believe the long-term strategic uh, aspects of it are are important for the Kurds. One, uh, we have to look at our relationships, our relationship with the Kurds over the years, and we have been very supportive of them, certainly in the uh, first Iraq war, the Gulf War, and then in uh, the invasion of Iraq under Saddam Hussein by George W. Bush, the, the Kurds were incredibly helpful, and, and they love Americans. And despite some of the shortfalls that came about during the Obama administrations, they remain supportive of us. And so uh, we, we have a little bit of allegiance, if you will, to continue to support them. The long-term aspects of this, and this is going to be a, a, a relatively long-term, you know, the best case minimum three to four years, you know, more like five, six, seven, eight years. When you look at other countries in the world that have either divided or uh, 
countries broke up. If you know the the most recent examples, looking in at Yugoslavia, it was a long process that started uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union, and you know those most of those countries that we went back to their original borders, um, Croatia, Serbia. Um, Macedonia and, and, and the Kosovo and the rest, it, it was a long process. So this is going to be a long process. So, Colonel, you're saying, overnight. though, even though they had the referendum, even <clears throat> though they've had the vote, you're saying before the world is going to accept them that there's going to be a whole process here that's going to have to happen. Oh, absolutely. This is um, what does the territory look like? What does it geographically look like? That's the first the first step to look at. Okay, what are they, what are the Kurds claiming as their um, sovereign geopolitical boundaries. When you have portions of what is known as Kurdistan Mm -hmm. that reach into Armenia, as you said, Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Syria. uh, Well, you're talking about the Kurdistan people now. You're talking about the Kurds themselves. Yeah, yeah. The Kurds are in all those countries. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, we talked uh, about so that earlier, but but hold on now. You've got, you got three main cities I'm seeing there. You've got Sinjar, you've got Erbil, you've got Kirkuk. All of those are part of what they're saying is, it, well, that's northern Iraq. Those would all be part of uh, th- what we're talking about, this new territory, right? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but, you know, if you, if you look at what is known as uh, ethnic Kurdistan, right. you you know you can look at that map, and as I said, it reaches in, and so it's going to be there's going to be a large negotiating process well, between that's why the Turkey, Kurdish people themselves. Tur- yes, Tur- Turkey is actually a little nervous about all this, to say the least, because of what you're just uh, talking about. The fact Absolutely. that uh, the fact that the Kur- Kur- the Kurds themselves go so far into Turkey, that's a big part of that population in that southern part it, of Turkey. There. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. And it's going to be the same thing with Syria, and certainly uh, Iraq uh, is deeply concerned because uh, Kurdistan has has, has a sizable uh, oil reserve, and the, and it, one of the one of the aspects of the Kurdish people is that they are able to do what they do, uh, push for you know they've pushed for autonomy for years, is because of the oil reserves they they can um, you know take care of themselves based on the resources they have available to them along with other things. So, you know, that, that makes countries like Iraq nervous. It makes, it makes Turkey nervous because of the sizable population of Kurds in Eastern Turkey. And, and, and I've spoke to you before about it. I've, I served in Eastern Turkey during the beginning of the uh, Iraqi freedom when we were deploying forces through there. And we worked very closely with the Kurds. Mm-hmm. And we had nothing but the greatest support from the Kurds, so we understand where they're coming from. It makes the Turks nervous, and any country that may have to give up territory in the creation of a new country, an independent state, uh, someone has to give up something. And so that's that's where they're nervous, and there may be situations where they're willing to go uh, go to war to, to keep that, and that's where we're getting... Uh, you know, we hear the rumors of possible military action by the Iraqis. Right. Whether it actually happens or not will depend a lot on certainly the U.S. involvement and discussion and negotiating this. Uh, a lot of it is, of course, it's going to be saber rabbling. It's going to be mm-hmm. uh, information put out uh, politically by 
those countries that well if they try to do this we will we will retaliate with military action will the kurdistan it, it, people have patience at this point jim now that they've done the referendum 92 93 percent almost voted yes that's a killer of a an, i mean that's overwhelming no doubt but will they have the patience to wait this thing out um i would i would say i i believe so i i certainly hope so i think their leadership uh, who does have very close ties to the United States and have been talking. This just didn't, the talks just didn't start today. There's been ongoing discussions for years and years uh, about an independent Kurdistan. And so there is a long time track record about discussion of it. This isn't someone thinks it's a good idea, so let's do it. We'll have a referendum and tomorrow they become an independent state. They understand, they know this is, this is a long-term thing, right. but on the positive side, they, they have to start somewhere, and this w- this was a start. The right, referendum is this. a start. Let me ask you this. Now, something else just comes to my mind just now. Now, Russia has played the cards out and are very supportive of this independent vote. We know why, you and I, and we talked about this earlier. So, I mean, our listeners know uh, they're not doing it because they're being righteous all of a sudden. Uh, They're doing it because it strategically makes sense to oppose the U.S. and say, hey, look at us. Uh, You know, the U.S. isn't supporting you now, and we are. How does that play into this? Is there any chance at all? that the Kurds, uh, that's why I asked you about their patience. Is there any chance at all that they uh, lose faith or hope or timing with the U.S. And, and some of that relationship goes more toward Russia? Or is that, do you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm asking? Oh, well, you know, the Russians are always doing things from the standpoint, there's always um, two sides of the coin, so to speak, with Russia when they do this. Certainly, they are playing to the the... As you, as you mentioned, there's there's some problems now with the U.S. that stems left over from the Obama administration that was almost completely against this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Russians are taking advantage of that. And uh, I personally would only hope that we resolve and bring it on. We we know that uh, in 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 comments from the current president, he. He is supportive of the Kurds. Well, he has been up to this point, but he came out the other day and said, don't do it. And by the way, the State Department, Edgar Vasquez, came out and said, and I quote, we urge Baghdad and Erbil to continue their cooperation to defeat ISIS, which has led to the liberation of Mosul and other areas. And and yes, from the standpoint of the strategic effort against ISIS, Mm -hmm. that has been the U.S.'s first and foremost, um, you know, priority right, right. in that part of the world to do that. And so you, you have to look at it. Okay. Um, but they said we, we strongly opposed the planned September referendum on Kurdish independence. I mean, those well, were their yeah, words. Yes, yeah. I, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. They're looking at it from first things first. We've got to take care of ISIS. Let's remove ISIS, and then we'll, down the road we'll go entertain this. To try to do both at the same time. Could could cause uh, diplomatic and geopolitical problems uh, in making right. this happen and and work to the to the to the advantage we would want down the road. Uh, you know, we're trying to recreate a new country in the middle of going after after ISIS and dealing with a civil war in Syria. Mm-hmm. Yet you have to understand the complexities of how we would deal with that going on at the same time. So. I think there's some there's some rational thinking from the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I, I might look at the language maybe a little bit differently, but they don't want to show their hand saying, we'll, we'll do this down the road. Uh, there's also, as I said, some, some leftover thinking during from leftover from the Obama administration. Uh, certainly this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, liaison emissary, uh, Brett McGurk, who was appointed by Obama as kind of the lead, uh, coordinator on this whole thing his his politics are to the latter and so you know i personally would say you know maybe it's time to put someone there with some more clear strategic thinking on how to go about this uh i have to support the effort yeah we gotta we gotta we gotta dismember and dismantle and destroy isis first uh and then we'll have a then we'll have a clear slate to go deal with this we're also dealing with problems in turkey uh with a president there who has not been right. uh, a, a a favorable guy to the to the U.S. in recent years, and so we've got to deal with that. We've got to deal with the Iran deal in Iran and what's going on there, and we've got to do with uh, perhaps maybe getting a more uh, favorable government Iran or excuse me in Iraq. Right right now we have uh, a puppet of. Tehran sitting in Baghdad. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, don't, I mean. Which is certainly a problem now. Well, but listen, I'm kind of thinking from what I'm seeing in here and that a lot of that southern Iraq and more toward the east near Iran, that a lot of people are kind of giving that up at this point. I mean, Iran is so infiltrated in there. I mean, the Ayatollah now, as I was reported on earlier, has started to set up schools, uh, some of the schools to teach their teachings in some of the Christian cities in that area. So it looks like they're putting, and I kind of suspected this was going to happen, uh, Colonel, that they're, they're putting quite a foothold in Iraq. I mean, I don't, is that savable at this point? You know that's that's gonna a lot of that is gonna come down to uh, how we deal with Iran on the Iran deal, how we deal with Iran. You have to, you have to remember uh, the Obama administration gave Iran a lot of a lot of money, and we all know a lot of that money has gone to doing just that in enhancing right. Iran's uh, hegemony in the region, right. supporting terrorism. Uh, it's it's infiltration in other countries like Yemen and Djibouti. So you know Iran is 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 playing off its own slate what their what their objective is for the region, and so we have to we have to curtail that as well. I mean there this this is a uh, I like to I like to refer to it as a multi level right. chessboard. Absolutely, uh, we've Absolutely. got a lot of things going on that is are very. Uh, um, I, I just you know, hope very detailed in, in, in what we have to do. Yeah, but I just hope, Colonel, that why Russia is playing chess as typical, Putin is a great chess player. I just hope that our government doesn't go back to playing checkers. Absolutely. That's 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 a great that's a great point, Malcolm. And I and I and I believe we do that by uh, strategically focusing on and and putting priorities on the table, but at the same time, uh, what I like about President Trump is he doesn't like to reveal his hand. But won't he uh, have to send some sort of signal uh, to the Kurds? Won't he have to send something over there to let them know that we're with them so they don't bail out and end up with a, uh, a very, I mean, I've seen worse things happen, Colonel, where they end sure, up with bedfellows sure. with Russia. I mean, God knows it's happened before. Uh, you know, let, let's do that, mm-hmm. but but let's do it quietly and diplomatically exactly. uh, in close hold channels where you know, 
we we sit down and we talk with the Kurds and we we tell them what the strategy is and tell them you can't reveal this to the world. We got your back. We've got to do these things first. I think I think the first thing that uh, the U.S. has to do is we have to. Uh, I know the Kurds continue to love the United States and de- yeah. and depend on it. They're smart enough to realize for eight years we had somebody in there who d- did not have any uh, interest in what the Kurds plate was and he and he and and he put a he put a an envoy in there who who echoed his feelings but i think we have to we have to behind the scenes uh reestablish those relations right. and you know i'm glad that i don't know the details of what is being said because that's the way it should be uh but i i i have uh faith and trust that we're doing things the right way behind the scenes. Well, last, we don't need to telegraph it to the world. I understand. Uh, last, last question. I only have a moment left, but I want to ask you this. For the first time, with this vote and what's happening now with the Kurds, I mean, is this not, in your estimation, a glimmer of hope that we haven't had any yes. out there? And Isn't this a glimmer of hope? Yeah. Absolutely. Because because this represents one of the biggest things we're dealing with is, you know, we had the genocide of Christians and and Yazidis in that part of the region, uh, who are predominantly living in the regions that the Kurds have, and that was done at the hands of of uh, of, of Syria and ISIS. I mean, and so it's 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 an opportunity to show yeah, that a- you know we're looking for the the right way of thinking in yeah. that part of the world and we're looking at the freedoms of people and their rights and so we have to stand behind that and i i, I think that is uh we have to show that the kurds are united behind what they want to do and i think that 92 percent referendum that they want to do this sends oh, wow. a huge signal, a hell of a signal to the world it's it's a dream relationship in this desert it's well it's in a way it's a, it's a clear oasis of opportunity in a desert of, of of turmoil and hate and 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 vile out there that continues to spin anyways very very interesting colonel jim warshuk we'll have him back again on this year and of course you heard from jennifer breeden the attorney that's in right now she is positioned right now uh, in the kurdistan region so i'll end it here friends and say uh, we hope and we pray for peace out there and i think this kurd peace could be a big part of it email us at talk at americaoutloud.com would love to get your perspective a lot going on back at America Out Loud, and we'll see you right there, friends. 